Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. My faith lies in humanity, not supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. A few months ago, Casper Ter Kyle introduced me to Casey Rosengreen. The two of us had a lot in common, it turns out. Casey was hard at work putting together an epic conference about secular spirituality. We got on the phone together and recognized that we were clearly speaking the same language and trying to say the same things. So I jumped on board with his project, and over the last several months, I've been hard at work with Casey creating the Open Div Summit. It's a conference of spiritual luminaries, unusual academics, and amazing thinkers working on the bleeding edge of the future of religion. And it's going to be a four-day pod conference at the end of February, 25th to the 28th, which means that we'll be releasing about 10 to 15 pre-recorded talks as podcasts each day, in addition to several live panels and community gatherings. One of those panels I'll be hosting, and it'll be on one of my favorite topics, negative theology. The conference is completely free. Register at summit.opendiv.org. This episode is a sneak peek of the conference. It's a conversation that I recorded with Eric Davis, the author of Technosis, and most recently, High Weirdness, Drugs, Esoterica, and Visionary Experiences in the 70s. Eric is an influential independent scholar. He was among the earliest and most insightful writers exploring how technology and mysticism affect one another to create strange new cultural phenomena. If you like this episode, go and register for the summit. It's going to be amazing. So now, our sneak peek conversation with Eric Davis. Eric Davis, welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Now, you are an independent scholar and writer. You're probably best known for your book, Tech Gnosis, among various others. But I guess, how would you yourself describe what it is you study in layman's terms? Sure, sure. Yeah, my project, both inside scholarship and in popular writing and, and my own essays is, is a lot of it has to do with the the fate of the religious or spiritual impulse in the modern world or in the contemporary world after going through modernism where where are we now who knows but it 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 is certainly the case that however much secular society pretends to have deconstructed the meaning of religion or the the rationality of of these kinds of beliefs that Human beings are, in some sense, religious creatures, and the uh, d- impulses, the desires, the yearnings, the delusions, even if you want to think about them that way, are going to come back in some form or another, regardless of our attempts to contain them. And this is now even true, obvious in in in, in developed in developed countries where people thought, well, the West, as you develop secularism, and y'all look at Europe, nobody goes to church anymore, and it goes, well, they, maybe they don't go to church so much anymore, although plenty of them do. But there's all sorts of things as soon, soon as you open your eyes 
to all the ways that popular culture and yoga and physical activity and, and, and arts sort of become not substitutes, that's the wrong way of, of thinking about them, but become other avenues to work out in many ways, I think these same kinds of drives, and drives is too psycho, psychological a term, these yearnings, aspirations, interests, even curiosities, desire for fellowship, desire for intimacy with experience, intimacy with the natural world. I don't think those things go away. And you could say, well, those aren't religious. You can go, okay, that's fine. But let's really pay attention to those sides of things in the contemporary world widely scene mm -hmm. yeah and you, you you put it very well and i think that's exactly the reason that i'm interested in these the subject matter and exactly what the open div summit and project is trying to get at so would you say that the current interest in occultism uh, psychedelics mysticism is an expression of uh, this yearning oh yeah very much i mean it's it it may be it has a maybe slightly different modality than more uh, traditional religious forms because of the tremendous importance placed on personal experience. And this is something that really, really marks a lot of more modern and contemporary developments out of the religious yearning. William James made a famous kind of distinction by, by characterizing religion not in terms of the sort of dogmas and collective forms and communal operations that it traditionally has been associated with, but instead saying it's really about personal experience. And that itself opens up a whole doorway that in a way allows all sorts of things that weren't traditionally seen as religious to function as part of, of someone's path. But then we come across this very important distinction that I'm sure that you encounter all the time in your work, which is people say, oh, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And this this phrase is, is so widely used now that it's even a way of categorizing people's religion. They'll go, oh, I'm a, are you Muslim? Are you Christian? Are you spiritual but not religious? Because there's so many people who use that term. So we can have a long debate around whether people who are spiritual but not religious are actually secretly religious or whether we're talking about something that's different in some ways from at least what we traditionally think about religion. I think both views are actually really valid, where we see it as a continuity of religion and therefore mysticism and even psychedelics and transfor transformational gatherings and yoga and all of this kind of bric-a-brac of sort of, from one angle, kind of consumerist popular cultural experiences or physical culture. Those can all be part of that expression. And at the same time, I think it's also important to make a distinction and to say, look, there are some things that religion does very well that spiritual but not religious doesn't do very well and that there are problems with the latter, partly because of the way that they're sort of not really getting the whole kind of religious framework while they're also avoiding other issues that come up with it. So I think that's a really important thing when you're looking at contemporary phenomena is to go, hey, this looks like spiritual but not religious. Let's think about that in terms of religion if we need to, but then let's also be willing to look at it in its own light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, in some ways, a continuation of the past, and in other, in other ways, innovation or a breaking from that tradition. 
I guess something that is a big factor in your work that we haven't really touched on yet is the aspect of technology. How does technology play into this changing landscape of spiritual but not religious? Where does it play into the future of religion? Right. Well, I mean, I think technology is front and center. At, at, if you emphasize that by technology, we're also including media, media technology. So a book, a codex book that you can go back and forth rather than a scroll that you have to unroll is a development in media. We can call that a technology. And of course, the, the tension between a scroll and a book and a codex book is already uh, written into the history of religion in, in the tension between Judaism and Christianity. Christianity very much begins as a religion of the book, not just in the sense that it has a Bible, but in the sense that, that if you look at the early church and how the letters were passed around and gathered into codex books, we already have a sense of the way that the, religion, the technology of the book impacts even traditional religion. So then when you come into the modern world and you start dealing with electricity and you have radio waves and you have televisions and you have computers and you have digital technology, all of these things inevitably become, consciously or not, metaphors for larger or more intangible items like the mind. Now we think about the mind kind of like a computer. Oh, I'm, I'm multitasking, I'm overtaxed, I'm whatever. Or we think about our nervous system as an electronic kind of thing. So we, we do that just to try to understand as metaphors for everything, but it particularly pertains to a lot of aspects of spirituality or religion because those two have a lot to do with communication, with messages, with signals, with transmissions, with understanding, with insight, with immediate understanding, whether we think about that in a rational sense of understanding your place in the world or understanding what life is really about or in terms of an almost more mystical sense of a kind of immediate intimate connection with reality, with nature, that even in those places, which seem to have very little to do with gadgets and internal combustion engines and things you plug into the wall, actually, when you really look at it, and especially looking at it with that mind of, of sniffing out the religious impulse throughout this supposedly secular culture, you find over and over and over again metaphors, features, resonances, direct linkages between these worlds. And so what I talked about in Technosis, which was written in the, in the late 90s, it was very much that kind of first wave of when the internet hit popular culture and people started to envision new worlds and tell mythologies that were both utopian. Ah, oh, we're moving towards a great global unification. And all of those technological metaphors of or technological utopias that we've heard for a few hundred years. The telegraph is going to bring us closer together. No, no, it's radio. No, 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 it's television. No, no, no. And if you go back, you'll see each one of these things. Somebody was going, now we'll finally be able to knit the world together in this communicational web and everyone will understand each other. So there's this utopian impulse or transformative impulse within technology that you can see very clearly when the technology first hits popular culture. People start dreaming big about what it could mean. And you can see in those dreams traces and sometimes overt 
replications of religious ideals of, of a of a of a global spiritual earth or a kingdom of the godly where everyone understands each other where we can overcome all of these burdens that we that we carry and so that's just one example that's pretty tangible and then inevitably history goes well it doesn't really work that way kids like the same thing with the internet in the 1990s the the, the utopianism was partly hype that was used to sell widgets and and sell IPOs, but it was also very genuinely and quite widespread in a lot of people who were working on the technology, both people coming into it and people have been really in the in the guts of the machine. And we look at those those dreams now and you're like, oh my God, you guys have no idea what's coming. <laughs> and sure, so sure. that's kind of part of the way that these these history the, the, the sort of metaphoric histories work. Yeah, yeah. And and it seems like it's it's been happening with every every kind of shift in technology and and technology is shifting more and more rapidly i i i guess with with all of these utopic visions where do you think the intersection specifically with with traditional religions happens or how because we as we're moving into new frontiers of technology at least in America there's this there are tech a, a kind of transhumanist movement that looks to what what can what what is beyond the human and and really it seems like capitalism as as it exists in this country is 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 focused on individuality is also focused on increased efficiency and 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 in various ways overcoming human limitations are are we hurtling towards a specific a new kind of existence and if so where will religion still be religion in that in that new era yeah, that's a very a provocative question. I'll try to answer it maybe slightly off, which is just to say that it's very clear that a lot of what we have been calling spiritual but not religious movements, including yoga, including meditation, and now increasingly including psychedelics, which for someone who's been interested in psychedelics for a long time is still a bit of a shocker how quickly mainstream society has, has latched onto it as at least a an image of potential, is that all of these things really do emphasize the self. That's part of that whole turn towards personal religion, towards uh, personal experience as a kind of guide through uh, spiritual uh, practice and, and spiritual life. Be, that inevitably individualizes. And so what we have now is a situation where we have a whole industry. Not only do we have a whole industries around these things, and they're deeply woven into consumerist culture with that emphasis on the individual consumer and on your needs, your desires. But those values are increasingly being attached to this larger transhumanist project, which is both explicit and implicit in a lot of advanced capitalist cultures now. So from a very traditional perspective, you can look at all of this as kind of a, a seduction, a way of taking an element of, of true religion, if, the, if such a thing exists, but taking an element of religion, splitting it off and, and sort of putting it all on the project of the self, the self that has to, that has to transform itself in order to stay competitive in a ca capitalist economy and increasingly in conjunction with machines. So I think that we are completely right to see the transhumanist gesture as both as sort of inevitable 
as driven by capitalist circumstances and as spiritualizing itself, at least in the sense that it draws from these other models and these other practices, some of which are quite ancient, as a way to enhance the viability and even the desirability of these kinds of transhumanist transformations. That doesn't mean that that's everything that everybody's doing. In fact, I think there's a lot of resistance to that as well. But there's something, there's, there's spirituality on both sides. You could look at people who are using, let's say, meditation to overcome their selfishness and to try to immediately plug into local communities of need, whether those are social justice needs or environmental needs, and they really conceive of their practice as part of a collective operation that, that has, a more, has a more organic relationship with some earlier forms of religion, which emphasize so strongly community, often location, landscape, tradition, all of that. That, that's also part of our contemporary moment, but in a lot of ways, the, 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 the juice, the, the flash, is with this weird kind of mutant absorption of, spirit, of 20th century spiritual seeking into 21st century post-human, transhuman uh, excellence, you, you, might, you might say. And so it's a, it's a very interesting domain because... You can, you can kind of see good and bad throughout the whole thing, like the whole question of value and the whole question of not just ethics, but, but really like fundamental senses of like what is an appropriate, what's the appropriate amount of transformation you can expect out of a human being. Can we really overcome ourselves? Are we actually doing ourselves damage by believing we can overcome ourselves and that some of the humility and sense of brokenness even that is part of some traditional religions is actually something we really want to keep in touch of, touch with rather than going, ah, yes, that was then, but now we can really take actively manage our humanity and overcome like this these... This time we'll get it right. Yeah, this, like this, this utopia time we'll get it will right. be the last one. And, and I think we're all, for your history, you're, you're totally uh, reasonable to, to... One is totally reasonable to have doubts about this, this kind of activity and also to really push back against the way that aspects of spirituality and religion are being absorbed into practices and value systems, particularly values like efficiency or instrumentality or power or a lot of those things are actually very, they're very tricky. They have some very negative consequences. And so it's, it's worthwhile to both recognize the spirituality of these transformative moments. And I've spent a lot of time in transhumanist worlds. And I actually, if you're religious history, you can appreciate that there's a long tradition of this kind of transformation of the self, even the kind of godlike transformation of the self. You see that in, in meditation practices and Neoplatonism, even aspects of orthodoxy, of, of Eastern orthodoxy. There's a kind of God-making potential in the self. And what we see happen, I think, with consumer capitalism is that these sort of impulses or patterns or, or modalities that, are, that, that have a very rich history get sort of recoded in a particular way that is most supportive to continuing the system as it is. And if you think the system as it is has some fundamental problems, ethically, environmentally, socially, that you, we find ourselves in an interesting place of kind of religious criticism again mm -hmm. as we try to yeah. navigate this zone. Interesting. So I hear, I guess for 
somebody that is trying to establish a new spiritual community or new or trying to create a spiritual practice for themselves individually something outside of or or beyond the traditional institutional religions i guess there are several pitfalls that they can encounter and you're bringing up a few particularly in in the modern day kind of co-opting of spiritual language and um, images or, or or ideals to actually reinforce the status quo I guess are there any particular lessons to be drawn from the seekers in the mid uh, 20th century looking at guru culture uh, seekers uh, kind of the uh, narciss- narcissistic spirituality or the over over indulgence of psychedelics i know you your recent book is high weirdness gets into the the kind of drugs and esoterica of that era I wonder if you could speak to maybe some of the uh, thing, the pitfalls of of that era, and maybe some some solutions or some 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 ways around yeah. them. Okay, we could we could I could try to think take on a, a few. There's 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 a number. I think one aspect in particular with that's very true with psychedelics, psychedelic spirituality, and certain kinds of let's say more alternative religions in the 20th century. I, I think here of paganism or uh, ceremonial magic, which of course has its own tradition that goes very, very far back, and, and it's as much a part of, let's say, the religious history of the West as Christianity. I mean, the stuff's always been there, but it takes a particular form in 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 the twentieth century, particularly in its relationship to nature. So, I want to say something good about that. I think one aspect of both psychedelics and this kind of, the kind of return of nature religion is. A, a deep sense that rationality in itself doesn't does not cut it, and in fact cuts us off from some of the main sources of value in our lives, which is our relationship and and indeed profound embeddedness in nature. And that part of that part of the affirmation of that process is it is it involves the imagination, an, an imagination that is sort of loosed from the restrictions of rationality. So that one is able to have a sacred encounter with a tree and, and actually undergo that, have that experience. And then the next day, be like, what do I do with that? And some people go, oh, whatever, I was high. And some people go, oh, there's something there. What does it mean to have a spirituality that has a relationship with natural forces? And so I think that, at that so there's some good stuff in there. But obviously, once you let go of critical rationality and you're actively invoking intense altered states, it's it's not the easiest thing to control. In a way, you're asking for something that's a little bit out of control. And we indeed we can see the the ravages of that. People who are who become deluded, people who kind of lose the plot, people who have already had predisp- predisposition for psychosis and go psychotic. And then one of the great faults of this whole current that narcissism that whole critique I, I i have mixed feelings about its appropriateness i think it's a good shorthand to emphasize the individualism that can go you know way too far with with spiritual seeking but the but but the thing that i don't think people talk about enough is inflation which gets us to this guru thing where you you start having these extraordinary experiences and you're not doing it in a traditional situation you're not you're not coming from a traditional religion. You're in modernity. You're you're making it up as you go along. Let's say, and it's very easy for people to who have a certain kind of charisma or have a certain kind of insight to transform that into 
uh, psychological inflation and then becoming like a leader uh, or then you get into the guru problem. And now some spiritual leaders, that they're worthwhile. It's not like the whole model is corrupt. It's not. And then you get all sorts of middle zones where there's some tradition, so there's some constraints. But there's a lot of reason for a tr that a traditionalist would say, look, you need a tradition around because otherwise things are just too likely to go off the rails. I don't know how much how much water that's going to hold now because everything is kind of off the rails. Like that's kind of where we are. We're we're at off the rails, and we'll, we're going to see very interesting things happen as mainstream society increasingly embraces psychedelics. They're at the honeymoon phase right now. They they see all the transformation, all the healing, but these psychological, these trickier psychological domains, I think will will also will also come through. And I think that that's actually another way of saying this in an even more general way, is that one of the most admirable and I think uh, clarifying ways to understand, let's say, the history of, of 20th century spirituality is that however silly it was, however deluded, however kind of arcane or whatever's going on there, is that people are exploring altered states of consciousness. And we are part of a continuum of multiple kinds of consciousness within which hypnagogia, lucid dreams, psychedelic vision, the perception of ghosts, the sense of deja vu, the sense of a teleportation, whatever. I mean, all of these things are aspects, not of reality. I'm not, I'm not making a claim about reality, but they are definitely aspects of the human con of human consciousness. And so you can look at all of these weird religions and cults and practices and yogas and breathing techniques and there's some of them are invented and some of them are from the from the past that are get recontextualized. You can look at all of it as this ex enormous gymnasium of altered states exploration. And as part of that we have to, I think we have to honor that because one of the things that's happening now is we're just more and more aware of these multiple states and that we're, we're, we're participating in all of these things at various points in our life. And that part of being a whole, a whole person, part of being an awake person, part of being a responsive person is to be able to move between these different modalities. But it's also opening the door to all sorts of disturbing states or obsessive states or deluded states. So that's, I think, a health way to think about the, both the value and some of, and some of the, the, the dangers of that kind of spirituality. You mentioned earlier that you were surprised by how quickly contemporary culture has uh, latched on to psychedelics. And the current psychedelic renaissance, you said, is in a kind of honeymoon phase. Do you think that a repeat of the 60s and 70s could happen? No, I don't think it'll be a repeat. It'll be something new and something different and something like that as, as good and bad. I mean, I, I'm very comfortable with a, a very wide range of response to the 60s and 70s. There's aspects of it that I love. There's aspects of it that I love, even for its foolishness. And and there is also a lot to be to be critical about. But I don't see it as some kind of overall fail because so much came out of it. So much so much happened within it, including the discovery of 
or the, the, at least the, the mass discovery of the, of the validity of a lot of internal practices, mostly originally from the, from the East, but increasingly em, embracing a, a wide range of, of contemplative practices. And, and again, the relationship to nature, the relationship to indigenous worldviews, however, again, kind of not so elegantly performed initially, but there's a sort of opening and embrace for the multiplicity of ways of imagining and being in the world and relationship to nature, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to just badmouth it, but there was obviously a lot of, of, of lost souls and a lot of, of negative consequences. Today, I don't think it's going to be the same thing, though. It's, it's a different modality. It's a different, it's not about finding your magical guru. This is, even though there are gurus still, and there, we still have problems with, with spiritual leaders, I think overall, we're moving towards a more in a way, a more secular model where there's these extraordinary states of experience or maybe there, there's a little bit of a kind of indigenous framework around them, but that a lot of people are increasingly experiencing the things as kind of dimensions of psychology or of personal wellness. And I think that those metaphors or those, those, those templates will work to a point, but they will only work to a certain point. And yeah, I think that, I think we're already seeing some some interesting developments in terms of what's going to happen when the when the honeymoon when the honeymoon is off. For me, as like a as a kind of uh, c- cultural critic, it's particularly interesting to watch the absorption of psychedelics into these kinds of consumerist, ca- hyper capitalist values that we were talking about before, because it's so paradoxically opposed to what we saw in the in the 60s in so many ways and yet it all ties together and how how does it how do you see it playing into the to 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 modern individual individualistic capitalistic uh culture i was just some of the same values that you'd mentioned before efficiency productivity the use of microdosing. so the idea that like that the, the magisterial multiplicity of LSD is best encountered through a very m- modest amount of material because it just helps you work better. And I, I want to work better. I wish I could be a little more efficient. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not like opposed in principle to things that can help you work, including microdosing, which I'm not. It's not so much about the value of the particular practices. I'm very liberal in my idea that people should be able to explore arcane practices as part of their their personal question questing through through the world i think if they don't put those quests in a larger collective context they're missing the boat and can and can cause some damage both to themselves and the people around them and the world around them but i i really ex- kind of a lot affirm people's right to cognitive liberty if if you want to think about it that way but at the same time it's very important particularly with psychedelics, to pay very close attention to the story being told. Because one of the odd things about psychedelics, and I think this is probably true to a degree with many spiritual practices and many religions, is that there's a way in which the stories you tell, the ritual stories, the symbology, the narratives, the texts, that they sort of shape in advance the, the the particular quality of your experiences. So if you're seeking some kind of direct communion, the stories you tell on the way to get there will have an impact on how you experience those things. So it's if you have a 
a an extraordinary measurable uh, event consciousness event happen and you were grown up in a Christian culture, you're much more likely to see that as a voice from God or as Jesus came down or blah blah than you are if you if that happens in your your you're in uh, Kerala in India. So unless you're in a Christian community there. But so those those things are, are true in general or or at least worth thinking about. But with psychedelics it's really true. So the stories we tell about them are directly shaping what people's experiences are. And the science of it wants to pretend that that's not happening, that you can objectively measure them as if they are normal medicines, and they're not medicines that way. They're, they're too squirrely. They don't have mechanistic behaviors the way we want medicines to do in the modern context of medicine. So if anything, they turn us back into a much older sense of medicine where there's a kind of imaginative ambiguous dreamlike quality that nonetheless has positive effects sometimes. So it's uh, it's not that it uh, doesn't have any positive outcomes. It does. It clearly does. But I think that as the complexities and the squirrely nature of psychedelics becomes more and more visible as well, that the results, I suspect, will not be as robust over time as a lot of the proponents right now want you to think. One final question. Right now, you were talking about how there is an emergence of, I guess, alternative alternative types of cultures, or at least this is something that you write a lot about, both on the internet and in the world, paganistic cultures, completely new, new forms of spirituality. With the kind of multiplication or the sort of fragmentation, maybe, of our sense of what is what is real, what is going on on a metaphysical uh, level, is that is that something that is going to is that an opportunity? Do you think is that a problem? Not having a central narratives like we did before. What do you think? Yeah, that's it's it's both. I mean, I can't imagine. Be, and I'm just speaking personally, I cannot imagine attempting to navigate the question of what is going on with, with our world today, which involves not just the concrete question, well, how do we do with climate change and nature of advanced capitalism that seems to be kind of falling apart or taking off, eating, eating the earth as it goes, or those kinds of real world situations, but also some of the kind of uh, just, just the cognitive stress of trying to manage mo- movement through this information onslaught and watching people's realities kind of malform as they enter into different mediated environments and then what is reality becomes a, a fundamental pragmatic question. It's no longer just like you're a 14-year-old stoner or something going, well, what is reality, man? It's like, no, everybody's going, what is reality? So there's a, and I can't imagine trying to navigate that without having practices, commitments, and values of a generally spiritual and religious nature. It doesn't really matter in a way what those specifics are. I, that, that just seems like you're just lost from the get-go. But that's just my particular take. And in that sense, I, I have a great deal of respect for a wide variety of people who are, who are playing with you know, operating within kind of a religious framework, because even from very different perspectives, it makes sense that these kinds of questions would be would become increasingly front and center as you just try to navigate 
our exist our 21st century existence. And I also think that it's it's also kind of part of the problem in a way, like it, 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 meaning that once you recognize that the world of altered states is only a, a blip away, is only a compound away, and once you have the feedback of media pick up on those stories and start to intensify them and start to tell stories about itself. It's like, oh, the story of the matrix comes along at a certain point in the history of technology and becomes a huge metaphor that we're still dealing with, with red pilling and et cetera, et cetera. Now we're on to new metaphors, but there's something about the the question of the nature of reality, this kind of metaphysical conundrum that obviously is part and parcel of what is eroding our sense of conventional mainstream reality that we inherited from the 20th century. For all its problems, for all its 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 un, uh, imbalanced politics, for all its suppression, it still functioned as a kind of social glue that could let you think about a country. But now it's like, I don't know what that, what does that mean, a country? What is the United States now? Isn't it Sure. Like, sure. So, so those kinds of metaphysical issues are also part of the sense of instability. So it's kind of a, yeah. a both a both and. Yeah, and and the kind of prevalence of alternative narratives, uh, especially with the last decade or so, with just different different YouTube rabbit holes that people have gotten sucked into and the like. You don't you don't know what 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 Earth the the person next to you on the bus is is living on. Are they are they living on a flat Earth or a round Earth? Are they living under the eye of some kind of global cabal, or is just stuff happening and people are trying to trying to make sense of it? It's it's this fragmentation that. Is, is 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 extremely disorienting, and it sometimes feels like we're all on a big psychedelic trip, and and nothing quite makes sense. Yeah, I think I think the, the, you're 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 not just you're not just being metaphoric in that. There there is something about this phase of media, this phase of capitalism, this phase of globalization, and that that it sort of eats out. It eats away at the foundation. And so in a way, in some ways, I can be, I can really appreciate an extremely conservative traditionalist critique of the whole thing. They'd be like, we always told you this is what modernity is going to do. And I just, but I just don't want to live there. Like I get it, but I just, that's, I can't, there's other values and things over there that I can't even deal with, but I get it because it's not a rosy, it's not a rosy situation. It's a very confusing one and people's mental health. Their capacity to 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 make sense of things. People talk about sense making today. It's actually very challenging, and I think that to do it adequately. I mean, my hope or what I'm most interested in is precisely a kind of middle way, where we do not turn away from science, we do not turn away from the critical intellect, we do not turn away from a political historical understanding of the institutions and narratives that we work in. All that kind of good stuff. But we, we, we just got to start weaving it big time with these other currents, inspirations, intimacies, visions. And yes, it's an it's, it's a, it's a open-ended game and it, there's, some, there's some hairiness there. But I just I, I feel like we have to kind of start to synthesize or at least learn to operate in these different worlds in a different way than we're, we're used to. So maybe we're not as threatened by 
everyone living in their own reality because it's whether we want it to be that way or not, that's what it's looking like for now. And so I, I, I do see it as a time to actually, it's like the silver lining kind of thing to really grapple with really serious existential, spiritual, and community-based questions, both in terms of our relations with humans and with the, with the non-human world, and to just dive into it, not, not to know in advance, because you're not going to know, know in advance. So I, I think that, that if you tune into that, there's a lot happening. It just doesn't come up on the top of the feed. And so part of what we're also doing is to, is to like, like a psychedelic trip, you go, oh my God, I could really lose it here. I could really get freaked out if I keep going down this way. Let's move our attention over here. In a way, we have to start like navigating our awareness and our attention and our, our kind of commitments so that we, at, at the very least, balance these different modes and keep a, a, a good radio signal tuning open for these restorative, connective, intersubjective connections that can really balance or, or mitigate against the, the chaos that we also face. Well, Eric, uh, thank you so much for speaking at the Open Div Summit. I really resonate with finding a middle path, not turning away from science, but finding a way to weave it uh, with everything else uh, that uh, comes with traditional spirituality. So thank Great. you so much, Eric. Well, thank you. Thank you again for listening to Reenchantment. If you enjoyed this episode, go register for the Open Div Summit right now by going to summit.opendiv.org. It's opendiv.org. It's happening in just a few short weeks at the end of this month, February 25th to 28th. I've worked really hard on it with Casey. I've recorded about a dozen interviews for the summit. Some are about modern day pilgrimages. Others about fiction based religions like Jediism and Tolkienism. Uh, that one's wild. Basically, it's going to be as if reenchantment got blown up 10 times bigger and I had all of the most important people I've ever wanted to have on the show gathered in one place talking about important things, everyone at once. I'm excited. You should be too. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time on Reenchantment, and hopefully at the end of this month at the Open Dib Summit.